0: It's good for me and my family to be here. Randy named several coming from Center Grove to be here. That sounds pretty impressive. I've been there for 25 years, but uh, to be honest with you, most of them are my kids, and they didn't have any choice. (laughs) I see Bonnie over here. She come voluntarily. I'm making a noise, ain't I? Am I making some kind of noise? Oh, that's him. Good. Sounds like Chris, is Chris here? My son's always behind me bumping something and messing me up, but uh, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to get right into our lesson. I want to talk about the prodigal son. If you turn your uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 15, we'll be there all day today. Uh, I plan on using this as a basis for our lessons uh, at all three uh, meeting times. Uh, For me, it's uh, one of the most fascinating uh, pieces of literature in existence. Uh, the lessons that are taught, the things that we learn about God, about ourselves, uh, is actually uh, overwhelming. Uh, I've always wanted to write a book on this. Uh, one of these days, God willing, I may be able to. But uh, I, hope, uh, I hope you uh, enjoy the things that we uh, discuss as much as I do. I'm pushing these two buttons I was told to push and nothing's happening. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Okay, there it is. Uh, the word "prodigal" means wasteful or riotous. Uh, it's uh, he's a uh, you know you say teenagers are sowing their wild oats. This is kind of what the prodigal son was. He was the wild one, uh, as opposed to his brother who was not uh, riotous at all. Is it the most popular parable of all? A lot of people think so. Uh, according to um, Robert Smith in his books, Handful of Purpose, he referred to it as the Prince of Parables. Uh, R.C. Trent, he calls it the pearl and the crown of all the parables. And then kind of shocking, Charles Dickens says it's the finest story ever written. People uh, from all walks of life have read the story um, known as the prodigal son. Uh, And the the lessons, uh, the way our Lord sums up, truth in so few words, it's always uh, mind-boggling. He doesn't use as many words as I do or as Randy would. He can discuss things uh, very simply and at the same time, he challenges our minds uh, for years of study. We read the parable, uh, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. There are three characters in this parable. The man represents the father, God the father. Uh, As opposed to uh, the father in the parable Uh, he's actually representing the father in heaven Uh, his character his love his wealth his righteous nature all these things we see in the father in other words the father of the son is is a good person like God is a good person we can uh, all of this is implied about the father in the parable he didn't run his son, son off in other words Uh, there was two sons one was the oldest son he's representative of the Pharisees and the scribes who are there listening to our Lord that day and then there is the youngest son and that's those who fall from grace Uh, some people have a bit of trouble with people falling from grace but if you would uh, jot down Galatians 5 and 4 the Apostle Paul talks about the Saints of Galatia having become estranged from Christ. They had fallen from grace because they were incorporating certain elements of uh, the Mosaic law into the Christian economy. And by doing that, uh, they had sinned uh, greatly. But uh, these are the three characters involved in the parable. The father representing God, our father. And then there is the eldest son and the younger son. That doesn't summarize the church in totality, just two groups in the church. Um, the oldest son, of course, we hope we aren't. Uh, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. Uh, this, uh, this strikes us as a, an arrogant request. It, all, it did me the first time I ever read it, that a boy would request his inheritance while his daddy was still alive. But it really wasn't all that common back at that time uh, for the father to give a child their inheritance while they were alive, to get their feet on the ground, so to speak. And that's what the boy wants. The part that comes to me, let me have it. Well, the father uh, did what he wanted him to. He divided to both sons his livelihood. The word livelihood comes from the Greek term bios, which means life. He divided his life. This is what he had accumulated Throughout his life. it's uh, The thing about the son is he felt entitled to what the father had. And yet it took the father a lifetime to accumulate uh, what he had. And now the son, he feels entitled to it. Um, You know, you would think a a good person would would feel uh, grateful that the father would give him his life, his livelihood. But this boy expects it as a matter of obligation. And if we're not careful, we might see ourselves in that. Uh, We think of things sometimes as a matter of obligation without really thinking about it at all. We think about uh, the air we're breathing right now, the sun that came up this morning. The things that we take for granted, we we forget that they're gifts from God. And uh, sometimes we get up and we fail to pray because we have forgotten that once again, God is sharing with us his livelihood. Sometimes it just slips the mind, and it did with this guy. He, uh, he was thinking of it as an obligation. Not many days after, more than likely, what he received was cattle, uh, hogs, or not hogs, he was a Jew, uh, cattle, uh, sheep, things of this nature, <clears throat> and then uh, he would have to sell them, try to exchange them into something he could take with him, Uh, to spend in a different country so it took a little days finally the younger son gathered all together he journeyed to uh, a far country he wanted to get away from daddy Uh, most likely uh, most of us when we were younger when we wanted to uh, Live riotously we got out of sight we we got out of the sight of our mother and fathers We surely didn't want them to see or to know what we were doing so we, uh, we would go off to a far country, so to speak. It's a way of saying uh, getting out of sight. In his case, he probably went beyond the borders of Israel. Uh, he is a Jewish boy uh, and he's probably heard uh, stories about the big cities, uh, Corinth, uh, Athens, uh, Nineveh, all the major cities of the world and the things that went on there from travelers that passed through the land. Uh, coming either to or from Europe. And uh, he, he had a, uh, an appetite, if you will, to uh, make the journey himself and to see the big city and the bright lights. So he took his journey off to this far country. And it didn't take long. He wasted his possessions. That's why he's called the prodigal. He wasted what his uh, father had given him He wasted it with prodigal living or wasteful living Uh, it doesn't take long uh, to waste money but when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want he didn't think about this happening you can see in your mind young boy going off to a big city going into a beer joint spending a lot of money Uh, when you start spending a lot of money in a beer joint first thing you get is a lot of friends there's a lot of people that come around, they want to be your friend. Uh, they start accumulating men and women, uh, and he's enjoying the life he's been hearing about. Well, when you're trying to keep up yourself and all your friends and all the women who seem to just flown all over you, it doesn't take long for the money to go. And then the unexpected occurred. A famine struck the land. Uh, after his money was gone, and he began to be in want. He's a stranger in a strange place. There's nobody there he knows. There's certainly nobody there that cares about him. Uh, He doesn't know what to do. Uh, So he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He started to work for a fellow uh, as a slave or an indentured servant of some type. Uh, This would be a Gentile he had hogs there and the boy wound up doing something. He never would have dreamed he would do He wound up feeding the hogs uh, Which to a Jew was an obnoxious thing it's hard for us to understand But for the Jew to feed these hogs it was a a terrible thing especially if you were in his uh, shoes he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods. The King James Version, I believe, uses the word husks. I was over in Israel last year, and I found uh, the pig food that's called uh, pods over there, and that's what it is. It's uh, some type of vegetation that grows wild, uh, and it's not nutritious. It's, it doesn't fill your belly up. Well, it does fill your belly up, but it doesn't do anything for your body. It doesn't make you strong in any way. This is what he's feeding the pigs, and he's so hungry, uh, he would like to eat what the pigs are getting to eat. But we're told, keep hitting that wrong button, no one gave him anything. The man who he worked for wasn't going to let him eat the pig food. Now, he obviously ate something because he was still alive, at least for the time being. But whatever it was he was eating, um, it it wasn't much. It wasn't filling. And he wasn't going to stay alive very long. His uh, lifespan would be very short at this point. Uh, We don't know what he ate, but if he ate the pods, even they weren't doing him any good. So it was just downhill for this boy. Now keep in mind, you got a a kid who is, uh, he's proud. What is he, 18, 20 years old? He's got the world by the tail man give daddy give me my money I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna conquer the world I mean he rides off like a king going to conquer the world and now uh, several months later here he is in some strange land he's broken down he's thin as a rail he's got on looking clothes and he's out in the pen with the pigs wishing he could share their pods with them the picture of the boy at this time is uh, extremely loathsome And one of the things that bothers me is uh, the father knows that, at least the father knows that. Now, the father in the parable, obviously, he does not, but the father does. When we go off and get ourselves into a mess, if we're in the shape this boy is in, our father knows it. And yet he does nothing about it. And that's one of the things that bothers me. Like the father in the parable, he doesn't act. The father in the parable, he won't act because he doesn't know. But the father in heaven does know because he knows all things. And he knows his sons in the pen with the pigs. He's, 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 he's thin as a rail. He's, he's a, 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 a cracker and, and three drinks of Dr. Pepper away from death. And he does nothing for this kid. He allows him to suffer. And it troubled me at one time in my life. But fortunately, the boy came to himself. He woke up. He was in a stupor, the way he was living. It was as though he didn't have any sense. He'd lost his mind. Now suddenly, he's he's come to himself. He's come back to reality. Uh, He's thinking clearly. He's thinking rationally. He was driven previously by emotions, and now he's thinking with the gray matter God put between our ears. He's thinking sensibly. For a change in his life. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and here I am perishing with hunger? It makes no sense. His father takes much better care of his servants. He developed a plan I will arise, go to my father, say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Remember when he left home, he said, give me what he was entitled to? Now look what he's asking for. Make me like one of your hired servants because I'm entitled to nothing. For the first time in his life, the boy sees himself as he truly is. The plan was put into action. He arose and he came to his father. Now, this is a story that most all of us are very, very familiar with. The boy took three journeys. First of all, he journeyed to a far country. Secondly, he took a journey with himself. And then finally, he took a journey back home. And for the next few minutes, what time do we stop? 10.15? Okay, for the next few minutes, I want to take a look at these three journeys um, rather briefly. He journeyed to uh, the far country in verse 13. Father, give me the portion of good that falls to me. That's his entitlement. Uh, He will change as time goes on. He wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He ate, he drank, he was merry. He did what most do in that situation. He accumulated friends, booze, friends, women, friends, funds, friends. Friends is the operative word. These are the people that usually wind up with most of a young man's money in a situation like that. There arose the unexpected. The severe famine came to the land. He was flat broke. He began to be in want. He was destitute. He joined himself to a citizen of that country, but no one gave him anything. He learned something about life that day. The bottom line was nobody cared. Nobody cared about him. He was a piece of meat. It was reality. As long as he had money, he was somebody. But when the money was gone, he was what he is. He was a nobody, he was a nothing. And no one cared whether he lived or died. And that's one of the things a lot of young people find out in the real world. A lot of kids today, they run away from home, they've all got a plan of success, and then they wind up on a corner somewhere in a major city. Some are peddling drugs for some, some, uh, somebody who's got a, a hammer held over their head. Some are prostituting. There's a lot of ways for kids to get by in the city, but that's about all they do. At least until they serve no useful purpose any longer. And that's what happened to him. It's a story about the real world. It's what happens in life when we choose to go off and be the prodigal. There is a way that seems right," Solomon said many years ago, and it seemed so right. It seemed so right to go off and do the things he planned on doing he never imagined things could go so badly he left home he was a very proud son it didn't take too long Uh, he was a party son not long he was broke then he became a very desperate son and then he became a very destitute son his plans all went awry life wasn't the way he thought it was Solomon warned him about living a life like that, but he didn't listen. He was wiser, he he was different. He had He had a plan. And he was gonna make his plan work because he was smart. He was smarter than most. He knew what to do. How long, the Lord asks people like this. And he asked this boy the same thing. He was taught this in his Bible classes. In synagogue how long will you slumber O sluggard when will you rise from your sleep when will you imagine see envision the world you live in there is a way that seems right but its end is the way of death and Jehovah asked the question why will you die and that's a question no one can answer at least I've never found anyone that's answered the question why will you die why would you lose your soul what is there that's worth a person's soul I've often wondered sometimes about you know even Christians sometimes Christians uh, they don't really live the Christian life you know they go to church and they do that kind of stuff but as far as uh, loving their neighbor okay Uh, as far as doing good to an enemy As far as uh, edifying or building up the congregation they 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 really don't have uh, any involvement in 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 that side of uh, primitive Christianity and you you ask yourself the question why why not what would a person exchange their soul for is it worth it The, the the non involvement is it really worth it Uh, Because in the end, we know that's the state of unpreparedness. Jesus said we must be faithful unto death to receive the crown of life. And yet so many times, that's not what actually happens. Jehovah raises the question, why will you die? What is there worth dying for? And is it worth it? And the answer comes back a resounding no every time the answer is no, there's nothing worth dying for. He took a journey within himself, a hard, hard journey. He came to himself. The easiest person to lie to is ourselves. I believe my lie faster than I believe your lie, because I want to believe my lie. If I want to, if I want to uh, convince myself that uh, I need a new car, I can do it. I've done it. I've done it on a number of occasions. I'm driving a car today, there's nothing wrong with it. And I'll guarantee you, if I decide I want a Camaro before I get home, I'll find 10,000 things wrong with that thing. We have got to get rid of this man. It's on its last leg. We convince ourselves of things because we want to believe that's true because of what we want. We want something else. This boy took an honest look within himself. He had to admit his failure. He failed. He was wrong. He was wrong big time. Uh, he had to uh, admit his need for his uh, father and he would have to go home and be humiliated in front of everybody no doubt when the boy left everybody was betting on when he'd come back he'll be back in six months I'll give him a year but he'll be back everybody knew him they knew he was going to fail he came to himself he swallowed his pride He did what is so hard for us to do. Reason returned. The dream, well, it was a lie. And he awoke to the truth. The problem, the flesh ruled over the spirit or over the mind. The apostle Paul, he wrestled with this a lot in his life. Romans chapter seven is an interesting place to uh, read if you wanna really get into the mind of Paul, or Saul, I should say, the Pharisee. In Romans 7, 15, he's talking about himself as a man who wants to do good, but he doesn't. He says, what I am doing, I do not understand. Paul, why do you sin? I don't know. You ever ask somebody, why'd you do that? And they say, I don't know. That's what Paul's saying, I don't know. Why do you sin? I don't know why I sin, I just do. Now this is from an inspired apostle. The Holy Spirit is leading him to write these words, which are words of truth. He honestly didn't understand. Why are you sinning? I don't know. I just know that I am. <clears throat> the apostle, or rather the prodigal in his uh, inward journey, he said, uh, I perish. That's one of the things he figured out. I'm gonna die. That was uh, reality. Something he had avoided previously. Number two, I have sinned against heaven and against my father. And then thirdly, I am no longer worthy. He's, uh, he's hit rock bottom. And sometimes that's where a person has to go before they'll turn around. Uh, I've done a lot of study in psychology in my life Uh, several years ago the state wanted me to do free work for them for two years uh, I worked with uh, people uh, who had been uh, hooked on meth and for two years I I did that one day a week and uh, in the two years that I worked with people on meth I was unable to help anybody I didn't help a soul And uh, I realized I was a failure, so I I decided to stop. Uh, I was told by the state that they had a 60-something percent success rate. Uh, I called the Sheriff's uh, Association, and I asked them about it after I had quit. And they asked me, I asked them, rather, what their failure rate was, and they said about 99 percent fail. Only 1% success. So I didn't feel like as big of a failure as uh, I once did. But there's one thing I've learned uh, that a person has to hit rock bottom, a prodigal like this. He has to hit rock bottom before he'll ever come to himself. And that's why our Father does not interfere. Sometimes we have got to hit rock bottom in order to come to ourselves. And to see life for what it really is Uh, there's a number of occasions in the Old Testament where God did that with the people of Israel for example he allowed them uh, to to go as far as the Red Sea they had the sea in front of them they had the mountains to the north of them they had desert to the south of them they had the Egyptian army behind them they had nowhere to go they're boxed in they're gonna die and they're crying and they're pleading and they're yelling at Moses because he's the one that got them into this mess and it was only at the last minute when death was imminent that God parted the waters and allowed them to go across on dry land that happened several times in the Old Testament several times they hit rock bottom and then God would open a door and they would pass through it sometimes in life a person's got to hit rock bottom before they'll ever change, before they'll ever turn around. And until we do, we just keep going the way we're going. And it's hard, oh, it's so hard. It's hard as a parent to watch a child going down, down, down. It's easy to give them a little money. They promised me this time they'll quit. I can't stand this anymore. I've got to help them, so they help them out. And three months, six months later, the child's going going again. What else can you do? It's your kid. You've got to do that. You can't stand by idly and do nothing. But I know a man and a woman, good people. He's a, he was an elder of the church. He's not anymore. They accumulated uh, a fair amount of money in their lifetime, I suppose. But uh, it wasn't long after their children left home. I think the daughter might have been 21 years old. The son was a couple years older. But it wasn't long until the parents were selling their house uh, in order to get some money, in order to put one of them back into rehab again. They had been through it so many times, they lost everything. And the children still weren't straightening up. Perhaps they needed to hit rock bottom. That's what happened to this boy. He came to himself. Jesus said, "Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son." Jesus said, "Blessed are those who hit rock bottom, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." That's what poor in spirit is, isn't it? They hit rock bottom in spirit when we realize what we are. We know what the word poor means. It means to be destitute destitute of the things the body needs for survival that's a poor person well a person who is poor in spirit is a person who realizes that they're destitute to supply the things that the spirit needs it's a day a person comes to the reality that they can't save their self. and that's a that's a reality that some people even in the church have not yet gotten to that's one of the reasons why we try to work out our salvation you ever hear a person say, I'm not good enough? You understand what that implies? You've got to be good enough to be saved. But Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He didn't say, Blessed are those who are good enough. Blessed are those who have hit rock bottom. Blessed are those who see themselves as they truly are. A people who can't save themselves. A people who will never be good enough. A people who will. Believe and trust in me because he is the one and only way to God the Father in heaven. Blessed is the person that hit rock bottom. We do it spiritually. We've done it. We hit rock bottom. We came to the point in time we realized that without God we're nothing. And we turned everything over to him because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And we've thrust our lives into his hands that wherever whatever he wants us to do wherever he wants us to do it we go because he's in charge we're servants and he's the one who's in charge at this time blessed are the poor in spirit our Lord said that was the first of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount the very first one Benjamin Franklin wrote a list of Beatitudes one time I think there was 12 altogether The 12th one had to do with blessed is the poor in spirit the humble that was the first one Jesus put in his list when a person hits rock bottom spiritually speaking they're in a position to live with God in heaven it happened to this boy and it was a terrible terrible journey and it's a terrible journey for us the day we actually realize that without God We're nothing. But it's also the best day of our life. Much like it was the best day of this boy's life because he went home and he started to live again. Why did the father let him go? Why didn't he go get him? Well, you can't make him stay home. If he wants to go, he's going to go. Why did he let him suffer? There's one thing God knows that well, I, I guess we do know, but it's one thing God will let happen that we probably won't let happen, is the need for His children to hit rock bottom sometimes. I don't think I could do that, and I'm glad God overrules me. I'm glad he's my children's father. The prodigal bought on his own suffering. it was his doing. He asked for it. He got what he received. And his father received him nonetheless the Hebrews author says, "You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. for what son is there whom a father a father does not chasten, but if you are." Without chastening of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate and not sons if the Lord never takes us to the woodshed it's because we don't belong to him everybody that belongs to him winds up in the woodshed furthermore we have had human fathers who corrected us we paid them respect I did my father and you probably did yours Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. They thought it was a good thing. It may have been a bad thing. Sometimes they're wrong. I made mistakes on occasion when I disciplined my children. Sometimes I thought they had done wrong, only to find out later that they had. not I goofed, and I had to apologize to them for goofing. Well, the Father of Spirits doesn't make those kinds of mistakes. Uh, He does it for our profit that we will grow from our discipline. That we may be partakers or sharers of his holiness. Why did he allow the prodigal to hit rock bottom? So he could become like God. And that was the day. He began his journey in becoming like God. <clears throat> no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. It never was for me. Probably wasn't for you either. Painful, that's a fact. Nevertheless, that nevertheless afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been notice that word trained by it. God Disciplines us. The word discipline means trains. He trains us for our own good. That we could become like him. The voice of experience we hear in the 119th Psalm. The psalmist said before I was afflicted. I went astray. But now I keep your word. You can see what he's saying. I went astray. I went away from God and then I was afflicted and then I came back to God, that's what he's saying. Before I was afflicted, before I was chastised, when the son went away from the father, the father chastised the son. And in this case, he brought this one back. He didn't have to hit rock bottom. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Why, that I might learn your statutes. He came to uh, have a greater appreciation for the things our father has said when he when he understood more clearly the holiness or the purity of, of God. I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Why does God take us to the woods yet? Because he's a faithful father. He won't let us run loose. You know sometimes, you know, parents won't discipline their children. Don't believe it go to Walmart sometime. You may have a kid run up and kick you in the knee or something uh there There are so many children running wild who seem to have no one that cares enough to take the time to discipline them. It's hard to do. I remember the first time i I whipped my children uh it was uh It was very very hard uh to to do that. One time it was so hard for me, I wasn't going to do it, and uh, one of them said to me, uh, "You have to, Daddy. You said you would, and now you've got to, or you'll be lying to God." And I had to whip that child. I I melted right in my shoes that time, and they're sitting here, so you know it's the truth. But uh, it was it was absolutely horrible. But God does it because he's faithful. He loves us and he wants us to be successful. And that's why we discipline our children. To try to make them as successful as as humanly possible with what lies within our power. Disciplining wrongdoing is understandable. But why must the righteous suffer? That's the question that we all need answers to. Uh, It is a discipline, which means training sometimes uh, we are trained through our suffering and it's very very painful from birth to death it's all a time of training that's why we're here we forget that sometimes sometimes it's easy to think uh, of life here as uh, our time Uh, our time to live our time to uh, build a family our time to uh, Establish a retirement, our time to get ready for the retirement days when we can do this, this, and this. There's a lot of ways people look at life as we live it, but if you look at it from a biblical point of view, uh, it's a time of training. That's what life's all about. From the day we're born to the day we're dying, we're in training, and God is, of course, our trainer. Peter said, You have been grieved by various trials in your life. That the genuineness of your faith, though it is tested by a trial that burns like fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have been tested, you have been tried that your faith might shine, that you remain faithful even during uh, such a, a, a difficult time in your life. Uh, Paul said all these things are for your sake talking about the ups and downs of life mostly the downs that grace having sped through the many may cause Thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God therefore knowing this we do not lose heart we don't give up we won't throw in the towel because of what we know our outward man is perishing well we can tell that the inward man on the other hand is being renewed day by day becoming more vibrant more lively more alive because the inward man becomes more and more like god every day the body's 80 years old and it's struggling but the spirit inside is more sure more secure of its fate than it ever has been before for our light afflictions paul suffered immensely as we all know and he refers to it as a light thing i suppose in comparison to the glory that will be revealed to us later it's a light affliction for the moment much like a woman who has a five-year-old child and looks back at the light affliction of giving birth five years earlier it doesn't seem so bad at least as it did when she was experiencing it. It's only for the moment, soon it'll pass. That's one good thing about pain. Uh, whenever, uh, I've had a lot of uh, operations in my life, and one of the things I've always kept in mind is it can't last forever. The pain can't last forever. You know, I've seen times where I've chewed on my pillow because it hurt, but it can't last forever. It's got to come to an end. It's going to stop. One way or another, it's going to stop. If you die, it's going to stop. It has to stop. And that's what he's saying, our suffering, our affliction. It's only for a moment, it's temporary. It won't last forever, the best is yet to come. But it's working for us. The suffering works on our behalf. God uses suffering to make us better people it's working on our behalf for a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory it's a, it's ironic sometimes it's hard to understand how God works through suffering to help us become more godly but it does work that way in our suffering for example we learn to have more compassion we learn to have more empathy for other people because we suffered we learned to care about other people who suffer used to we may have stayed home when somebody went in the hospital and had a surgery but after we've had our surgery and we see what is have people come and visit us after we've had our surgery if there's much to us at all we then understand that individual's need for somebody to come and see them and there's a desire on our part to go and see them Through suffering we become more like deity and God allows us to suffer because the whole purpose of life is that we become like God in Romans 8 and 29 the Apostle Paul said we are to conform to the image of God's dear son that's the purpose of my life and that's the purpose of your life in second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 Peter said we are to become partakers or sharers if you will of the divine nature From the time we are born to the time where we die, we have been put here to become like deity. That we might live with deity when this world is over. And suffering is one of the elements God employs to help us learn to become like him. My brethren, James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I don't know if anybody really believed that the first time they read it. The first time I read it, I couldn't believe it at all. I couldn't believe somebody actually wrote it, much less believe it. Count it all joy when you fall into a variety of different kinds of problems. Who does that? Who rejoices at trouble in their life? Who rejoices when their house burns down? Who rejoices when they lose their job I mean who would write something like that only a person who lives in eternity could write something like that and he did count it all joy it's a reason Oh, an occasion for rejoicing when you fall this is something we don't intend to do it's something that accidentally happens to us oh when we fall into these various trials why knowing that the testing of your faith putting your faith to the test to the trial produces patience you become a more patient person and you remember what our Lord said in your patience you possess your soul So, the testing of our faith produces patience but patience has to run its course do its perfect work that we may be perfect complete and lacking nothing When you look at these various elements, and there's a lot, lot more that we could look at, you can see how all of these things played a part in bringing the prodigal son to himself. Now, Jesus didn't tell that story just to occupy some time. He was trying to teach us a lesson. It's a lesson about life. It's a lesson like how we we learn to grow, how we learn to become like God. Something we must go through and we do and it deserves much much more study